Well, friends, it's now time for us to have our Bible talk, and it's the second in our two-week series, Know and Tell the Gospel. Last week was Know the Gospel, and therefore today is Tell the Gospel. And with that in mind, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our loving Father, we do pray now that you would help us to understand more about your good news and help us to be convicted by it, to be compelled by it, and help us to be equipped to share it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been said that in war, truth is the first casualty. But I think in this time of peace, truth continues to suffer. And the way that it suffers is very subtle. And if you don't look carefully, you'll easily miss it. You see, the way that truth is suffering is the idea that truth is relative. In other words, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And so in this crazy mixed up world, two completely opposite things can be considered to be true at the same time, even though they're opposites. Now, I'm not talking about personal taste or preferences. You might tell me that the sharks are the greatest team, or I might tell you that the dragons are the greatest team, and you know, it's true for me, it's true for you. It's not that kind of truth. Maybe neither of those statements is true. You can tell me in morning tea. But the point is that we're talking about facts. See, facts are either true or false. It's absolutely true that I was born on the 10th of March. That's in two days' time. Uh, And it is a certain fact. You can't say, well, Jody, I feel like you were born on the 10th of April. I said, well, that's a lovely feeling, but it's not a fact. And likewise, you may not like it that Scott Morrison is our Prime Minister, but regardless, it is a fact. Many of the absolutes in life are drifting into the realm of relativity, And so many of the things that our society has always considered to be just an absolute truth is now sort of drifting into this world of, well, true for you, true for me, who cares? I think one of them we see as a stark change in the last decade especially is is the view of gender. I mean, it used to be that someone was clearly male or clearly female, not to mention that there were some uh, very few people who suffered from any... Uh, an incident called an issue of uh, gender dysphoria, which is a thing, of course. But now we're at the point where in Tasmania you can choose whether or not you want to have your child's gender put on the birth certificate or not. And people who have had no surgery can suddenly say, well, look, I've now decided that I no longer want to be considered a male, I want to be a female, and I'm just going to change that on my birth certificate. There was a time when that was an absolute Tell me the absolute facts. Well, this person is this height, this weight, this gender. But now only two of those can actually be seen as true in our ever-changing society. So what's that little rant got to do with anything? Well, I think it means that we increasingly find it hard to say that beliefs are untrue, which means that if you believe that the gospel of Jesus is true, that Jesus really died and that he really rose from the dead and that if someone does not believe in it, then they're going to hell then it's kind of a, in this world, it's like, well, look, don't you push your truths onto me because you've got your truths, I've got my truths. What's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. So don't tell me about Jesus and throw your beliefs upon me. And I think this undermines our confidence in talking to people about Jesus. So when a Jehovah's Witness comes to our door and tells us things like Jesus is not God, then we say, well, Jesus is God. We say, well, true for you, true for me. It's like, no, 
Or, or my, my Muslim barber, who's a lovely bloke and has a sincere belief in God, but doesn't believe in Jesus, then he's sincerely wrong. My way is the truth. His way is a falsehood. But you see, even as I say that, you sort of got to squirm a little bit because that is the nature of our world at the moment, which means when you go around saying Jesus is on your T-shirt, which we're going to be doing in the next month, you say Jesus is true, people go, whoa, hang on a second. You could say Jesus is nice or Jesus is my preference, but try saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life because that's what Jesus said. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If that's the case, then anything else misrepresents Jesus. But if it's not the case, then Jesus is a liar. Because we need to remember that it is only through Jesus that a person will be saved. If you don't believe that, you're not going to tell anyone about Jesus any more than you're going to say that I like this cleaning product over that cleaning product. Or I prefer to shop at Coles rather than Woolies. It's just a preference thing. But if what Jesus said is true, and it is, then he is the only way to salvation. And every other way is leading to hell. And until we believe that, we'll be crippled in our evangelism. And this means that it is worth risking a friendship to turn someone away from hell. It's not worth risking a friendship to try and convince them to shop at Aldi instead of IGA. I mean, that's a silly thing. But it is worth risking a friendship to say to someone, listen, I deeply want you to know that the way you're living will lead you to hell. And I can tell you the greatest news of all, which is that, faith is, that, that salvation is found by faith in Jesus alone. Jesus is Lord. And until we get that in our heads, we're not going to really want to reach out and talk to people about Jesus much. If you're already a friend of Jesus, as I trust most of us in this room are, then, then you know this and you have this in your heart and you have it in your mind and you know it to be true. And I'm hoping that today as we have a brief look at the 15 verses of Romans chapter 10, that you are going to be pumped up again with the zeal of sharing the gospel of Jesus, just like the Apostle Paul was pumped up about his own fellow Israelites who had turned their back on the one who was sent to save them. The greatest Jew of all, Jesus Christ, was rejected by most Jews. And Paul's like, this is horrible. And it is. And that's what we're going to capture today. But all of this, I pray that we will be walking out of here absolutely centred on Christ, Realising the gospel is centred on Christ. Because the gospel needs to be Christ-centred. It's not about us. We learned about that last week. It's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's not the gospel of how we get fixed up in life. This word gospel means good news or great news or even huge news. And it is the greatest piece of news that has ever been said it's the sort of thing that if you ran newspapers, you would put it over the front page and you wouldn't even bother with a photo. You'd say, Jesus is Lord. And you say, well, what big news is going to happen tomorrow to outrate that? Well, it turns out they're going to print the same thing again. There's nothing bigger than the message that Jesus is Lord. But sadly, many Jews in Jesus' time didn't accept him as Lord, didn't believe he was king. They mocked him. It is said he is the king of the Jews. Meh. 
But Paul, who was amongst them and was active in trying to wipe Christians out, he had that Damascus Road experience. His life was turned around and he then realised that Jesus is Lord. And now, instead of killing Christians, he's now trying to convert people to become Christians. And likewise, he wanted his fellow Jews to follow Jesus as well. Paul wanted his fellow Jews to follow Jesus because he knew that it was only in Christ that they'd be saved, that everything else they had, their whole heritage, everything is useless if they don't come to Jesus of Nazareth. And so we begin Romans 10.1. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. This is not a philosophical thing about Paul. It's his heart because he is a person of Israel. He's the guy who wore the skull cap and did the bar mitzvah and all that stuff. It's in his blood. And now he knows that he's an outsider because those who are in Israel have rejected the real Israelite, Jesus. And he knows how enthusiastic they are. Verse 2, he says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. They are real keen Jews. They are super zealous spiritualists. They are red hot religious people, but they've got it all wrong. I remember hearing a saying that said something like, you might spend your whole life trying to climb up the ladder only to find out the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. And that's exactly the situation with the Israelites. They are awesome. They are are scrambling up that ladder with a rate of knots. They've got the gear. They've got the black things. and They've got all the stuff. But they've missed the plot. And this is why Paul's heart is breaking for his own people he loves so much. And it's just a fresh reminder that you can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong in your beliefs. Just because a person is a sincere Buddhist or or a devoted Jew or, 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 or an absolute, almost militant Islamist, it doesn't matter how keen they are because they can be sincerely wrong. But what was wrong about them? Verse 3, For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. That's what they missed. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God. And how? By trying to keep the law. They said, we know how to get friends with God. We know how to get right with God. That's that expression there. Some Bibles would translate that expression, be righteous or justified. It's all the same word. But what they have done is they've not understood it and they've more than misunderstood it, they've refused it. They said, I will not go that way. I will not follow Jesus. No way, no way. And because all of this... They thought that the way they had to do it was to keep the law. They had to keep the law instead of following Jesus. The heart of the problem is that they've ignored God. That is the heart of the problem. They've ignored Jesus, who is God. Just so sad. When Mandy and I were over in Jerusalem a couple of years ago, we saw how passionate the modern-day Jews, the, the really orthodox Jews were. We saw their outfits that made them stand out completely from the crowd. You knew who was a Jew and who was not. 
and you saw their behaviours. And you, we, we, on a Sabbath, I mean, the, you, you, they wouldn't take public transport. They wouldn't push buttons in lifts. It was all this kind of They were super religious. And they had their laws. But they missed the point. Because the heart of the problem is that they have ignored Jesus. Because Jesus is actually the fulfilment of the law. Everything they were looking forward to, everything that they had been doing, all came true with the punchline, which is Jesus. Romans 10.4 For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law is given. It's old news. As a result, all who believe in him are now made right with God. This is such a great verse. All the stuff that the Old Testament said, if you want to be right with God, let me give you a million rules you've got to keep. And away they went, and they gave it a good shot. But at the point, at the end of it, they could not perfectly keep it all. Even if they got a mark of you know, 66 or something like that, we think, well, that's pretty good. I've scraped through with a credit. Woohoo! You know, I might get an honours degree in this. It doesn't matter. 100% is the only mark that is acceptable, and everybody has fallen short of that except for one person. That's Jesus. Jesus is the only guy who could turn up to God and say, here's my exam paper of my life. Here's my assessment, and it says, perfect. Not just competent, but perfect. And because of that, he was the ultimate Jew, the ultimate Israelite, and he himself fulfilled in himself the fact that he needed to be right he needed to show what it was like to live a life that is righteous and he did that for us and he did that so that anyone who believed in him could now be part of the people of god and this is very important because now anybody can be saved if they believe in jesus i'm pretty stoked about that because i'm not very jewish I, I think that if you go through my family tree, you're not going to see that up there somewhere is, you know, ah, oh, links all the way up to Joseph or Abraham or someone like that. It's like, no, I don't think so. Scots? Yeah. All sorts of types. But, but, but not your bard, Israel, something like that. I'm not in that club. Which is great news that anybody can be saved if you believe in Jesus. It's about believing in Jesus. It's not about doing a special Jewish law because I couldn't do that. Nobody has done it except Jesus. It's just about believing. And so we need to, what do we do with the gospel? We need to recognize it as good news. We need to see it for what it is. And we need to say it is true. The, the problem for the Jews was that they were looking for the truth, but they looked for salvation in the wrong places. The Jews looked for salvation in the wrong places. See, there are two different types of righteousness. There's one that follows the law of God, and there's one that follows Jesus. There's two different ways, and they are completely opposite to each other. And the way in which people act will actually it will affect their whole outlook in life. In the book of Deuteronomy, it talks a bit about the law, a lot, uh, and in verse 5, we read a quote about the law in, in Romans. It says, For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. Now, you can't just say, well, I got 51. You know, it's, 
It's not like, you know, peas make degrees. It doesn't go like that, okay? It's, it's about 100%. All of its commands are required. The way of the law required perfect obedience. Which, And I keep saying this over and over again. I hope you've heard it and I hope you share it with your friends. And that is that if anybody stands before Jesus on the day of judgment and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And he says, because I've done a whole lot of good stuff. He's going to say, didn't you read the Bible? that says the, that you, you need to have perfect obedience to all the commands. Look, you've got two options. You can either come here and give me, a, give me an exam mark that has got 100%, or you can say, I'm going to let Jesus do my exam for me. Which one are you going to do? Because the whole cue that says, well, look, let me tell you, I, I've, I've got in my diary a list of all the times I went to church. I, I've, I've got... In my spreadsheet, a list of all the money that I've given to the poor. I've got here a list of all the good things that I did, the nice things I did, the, the way I helped with this organisation and that organisation. And, and I was just, you know, and, and what, I've got some references here as well because people say I'm really a nice person. In fact, I even got a, an award from the local council and they gave me a special badge. Jesus, heaven's better with me. Come on, let me in. And he's going to say, you've gone in this door that says you want to follow the law? 100%. How'd you go? Oh, I reckon I'm probably about 70. I don't care. You had a choice. Because all who are going through this door are saved. Because they've come in and said, listen, forget how much I've given. Forget how much good I've done. Forget who I knew or where I went. All I, can, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. And he'll say, come in. The problem is that DIY salvation is certain to fail. If you do salvation yourself, do-it-yourself salvation, it's going to be bad. Uh, for me, most of my DIY jobs are a little bit shoddy. Um, I, I've had mixed outcomes. I tend to either over-engineer or under-engineer. I, I once did a, uh, a retaining wall that I think would probably survive a direct missile attack, I think. There, there was sort of a lot of concrete in that, I can tell you, unnecessarily. But other DIY things, like leaking toilets that just keep leaking, and there are all sorts of interesting little things. That, uh, DIY can be wonderful and a lot of fun, and Bunnings, we, we all love Bunnings in our heart in a special kind of way. But if you're going to turn up to God and say, hey, let me, let me show you what I did with this religion stuff. You know, I, I got in a little bit, I got a holy book and I got a holy hat, and away we went. <laughs> it's like, fail. You, you should have called in a, a religious guy like to tell you, believe in Jesus. You need an expert. No, we don't need an expert. You just need Jesus. Come to Christ, because DIY salvation is certain to fail. And what we're going to get now in Romans chapter 10 is a funny old verse that people go, well, what does it mean? It's pretty much saying, don't do DIY religion. See if that helps you understand it. Verses 6 and 7. But faith's way of getting right with God, that's the right way, right? It says, don't say to your heart, who will climb up to heaven, like this, you know, basically to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of dead to sort of bring Christ back to life again. Like you're kind of, you're a hands-on kind of person Say, I've got to do some stuff. I've got to bring Christ down or raise Christ up or something like that. Faith's way of getting right with God isn't about doing stuff like that. It's actually about, verse 8, it's about believing something. Verse 8, in fact... It says the message is very close at hand. It's right under your nose. 
because it's on your lips and it's in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. It is right here. Oh, we, we find it hard to have people do things for us. But with Christ, we need to let him do it for us. Say, can I open the door for you? No, I'm fine, thanks. And, and we fear that time when, when we ourselves will be dependent upon others. If you've ever broken an elbow or a shoulder or something like that and someone's got to dress you, you think, I don't like this. And fair enough, we don't like that. We don't like being, losing our independence in that way. But, but friends, when it comes to coming to Christ, we actually have to give up our independence. And we've got to love doing it. Because the one who is caring for us cares for us better than we know ourselves. And this is great because all we've got to do is just trust him. We've got to believe the message, the message that is right here. We need to believe the gospel message. It's a heart thing. It's a mind thing. It's not a hands thing in that way. Because the message of the gospel is not a law, it's a promise. What does the law say? It says, you shall not commit adultery. And how do you keep that? Well, you don't commit adultery. That's a law. Or you must travel at or below 60 kilometers an hour. How do you keep that law? You travel under 60 k's. Simple, that's a law. But the gospel message is not a law that you keep in that way. You, it's actually a promise. The gospel message is a promise. It's a message. And it says, you need to believe that Jesus is Lord. So what do you do? Do you keep that? No, you don't keep the promise. You believe the promise. See, the whole purpose of a promise is for it to be spoken and believed. Promises are said and believed. That's how they work. And I could say to one of my kids, I promise I'll be home by dinner tonight. And they have to then believe that that is true. They're not going to make me come home. They're not going to do anything to contribute to that happening. They're just going to have to believe it. And then I open the door and there I am. Well, because I'm human and sinful, it's like, dinner's getting cold. Yes, I know, Dad did promise. What do we do with promises? We speak them and we believe them. And so it is we get to the greatest promise of all. Verses 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. I love these verses. It's such a simple kind of concise understanding of the promises of God. And it makes it so clear about what we've got to do to receive that promise. See, firstly, it says we, we, we kind of need to speak the gospel like we really mean it. Remember last week I said that the, the punchline in all of this is Jesus is Lord. That's the key punchy summary of the gospel. And to be saved, we need to say it like we mean it. When Jesus says that he is Lord, so when we say that Jesus is Lord, it's like we're saying we are his slave. Remember, we got that as last week as well. It's that throwing our car keys to Jesus. It's like 
We say, oh, he, he, you want to drive? I want you to drive, Jesus. You get out of the car, you throw him your keys, and you get in the passenger seat. And you say, wherever you drive me, I will be there with you. And I know that you will do a better job of my life than myself. And what's more, I don't deserve, and I'm not supposed to drive my life. You're supposed to be the one in the driver's seat. That's what it means to say that Jesus is Lord and speak it like you really believe it. But we also need to truly believe in Jesus' resurrection. I sort of thought that in a, in a way that the punchiest summary of what it means to be saved is for someone to say Jesus is Lord. But this verse, it does mention very clearly that you've got to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I think that's important as well, that, that we, we need to realise that the whole gospel thing is very supernatural. And in fact, if Jesus is still in the ground dead somewhere in Palestine today, then this whole religious thing that we do called Christianity is a complete and utter waste of time. I've mentioned that to you before as well, but don't forget it. We need to truly believe that Jesus is alive so that as the living Lord, we can say, you are Lord. So maybe it's better to say that Jesus is the living Lord, perhaps. But certainly Jesus, who is alive, is Lord. And the good news from all of this is, verse 11, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Jesus will never be disgraced. You know what it's like when a young child gets in trouble and they know they're in trouble and they give you that look on their face and they know that they're in trouble and you have sprung them doing something and they give you this look. Uh, we, we do it with our little dogs sometimes too. It's like, that's not the place you're supposed to go to the toilet, is it? Who did that? The dog sort of is, mm, kind of look. You know, That's what disgrace looks like most of the time. Some of my dogs are like, <laughs> it's like, no, you don't get it, do you? Disgrace is when you're caught out and you're, you're kind of red-faced or black-handed or whatever it is. When you trust in Jesus as Lord and Judgment Day comes, it's not like, oh, this is a horrible day. It's like, here I am. Jesus says, come on in. You're my friend. We're already reconciled. You're already right with me. Way back in 2020, you know that time? Or way back in 2050, uh, in 19. 50 or whenever that time when you came to Christ that was the time we became friends and we've been friends ever since don't worry about it we will not be disgraced if we have Jesus as Lord we will not be disgraced on judgment day and verse 12 and 13 this is for everyone Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect they have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved you, it doesn't matter what human face you see, everybody will be saved if they call on the name of the Lord. That's how it works. You don't need to have a, be, a, be a special gender or a special nationality or live in a certain country or certain height or do certain rules or whatever it is. It's anyone. It's so simple. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, you're my Lord. And he says, you're saved. Uh, one of the, th the things with the whole Jesus is campaign that we're doing is that from time to time people will come back and, and, and like you know how it works with the t-shirt I've told you before the t-shirts are coming and things next week but you're wearing the Jesus is and it says someone says ah oh, what's the deal with the Jesus is I'm seeing it everywhere which is what we're hoping will happen from next week and you say well we're interested in people's opinions Jesus is what goes in the blank. And then they say, oh, Jesus, what do I think about it? Oh, I don't know. Um, 
Jesus is kind? Oh, that's lovely. Why do you think Jesus is kind? You have a bit of a chat. And then they'll say to you, what do you think? And you say, well, I, I, I think Jesus is forgiving. Oh, what do you mean by that? And then you have a little chat. Just talk about something. It's pretty easy. But you see, with all of this, we, we need to be ready that if someone comes and says, I, t- tell me about the, the other issues in life that are, that are heavy and difficult or I don't understand, I, I think the best thing we can do is just keep pushing people to Jesus rather than having philosophical and apologetic arguments about all sorts of stuff. And so if someone was to say, oh, isn't Jesus anti-gay? You say, well, actually, you know, Jesus spent most of his time with the people in society that the religious rulers said he shouldn't go to and tell them a little bit about that story. Just, just get them to Jesus and shock people about how amazing Jesus is, how inclusive Jesus is. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't need to be scrubbed up and nice and ready to go. It's just kind of come as you are. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, which points us to the fact that Jesus is Lord of the universe. He rules the universe. And so that's why you want to have him as your own Lord. It's not just for Jews. It's for Gentiles as well. He's Lord of all. And so what do you then say if someone says, well, so what does it mean to be a Christian? What do I need to do? Well, I think right at that point there, you just need to remember three words. Three words that will take someone from hell to heaven in three words, and that is Jesus is Lord. I reckon if you just can be ready to say that, then you've got the answer right there. And they say, well, what does that mean? And then you can say, well, I believe Jesus is alive. I believe that he died for me, so I don't have to take the punishment I deserve. But above all, Jesus is Lord, which means he's the loving ruler of the world. You, you, so you can sort of take that, those three words and send them off in all sorts of directions. You don't have to memorise something fancy. Just say Jesus is Lord and, and see where the conversation goes from there. Uh, that's why at the front of the news sheet this week I've talked about gospel first aid. It's kind of like the first thing you do when you need to tell someone how to become a Christian. Jesus is Lord. Pretty simple. Don't get stressed by it. But the problem is that if people don't know it, then they can't be saved. Verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So you can't call on Jesus if you've never heard about him, which means there are so many people around who don't know Jesus because they don't know anything about him. Now, you might think in in Australia, this Christian nation that everybody understands what the cross is all about, that who Christ is and what Easter is about. No, not at all. As I've gone into high schools before and taught scripture, I start with a whiteboard and say, well, tell me stuff you know about God, Jesus, and the Bible. And uh, it takes a lot to squeeze something out of somebody. And these are amongst kids whose parents have said, I identify them as Christians. We need to tell people about Jesus because if they don't know who Jesus is, then they can't be saved. And we need to do it in Africa. We need to do it in Asia. We need to do it in America. And we need to do it in Australia. Because how can you call on someone you don't know about? How can you call a number when you don't know the number? You know, you need to know Jesus. You need to speak of Jesus. But for so many today, Jesus is just a swear word. But it should be a word that is about salvation. See, the kindest thing you can do to anybody is to share that Jesus is Lord. 
you might think the kindest thing you can do to anybody is just accept them for who they are. Now, we want to accept each other because Jesus did. But he accepted them. And then he said, you need to repent of your sins and turn to Christ. The kindest thing we can do to our friends, to the people we share a, a street with or a building with, the people we work with, the people we live with, is to share that Jesus is Lord. And that is why our passage ends today with this verse. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that is why the scriptures say, quoting from Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. It is a lovely thing when you receive something beautiful from somebody and it just makes them shine. I can think of times when, when we've been a bit sick in our family and, and we've received a knock on the door at about five o'clock in the afternoon and someone said, oh, look, we just happened to knock together a pasta bake for you. It's like, oh, it's beautiful, you know. I mean, it's not like it's, it's the kind of thing that you'd, you'd get from an expensive restaurant. It's better. It's because it's got that love that comes with it, that care. And when, when you receive that, it's like, not only is the food beautiful, you know, unusually beautiful for a pastor bake, but the person who's bringing it has that glow as well. It's like, you're beautiful for sending us this food in our time of distress. How much more so with the message that Jesus is Lord? Say to someone, you know, I have a certainty for eternity. I know that Jesus is Lord, and I want you to know that as well. And for them to go, whoa, you know, I've never thought of it that way. Do you think Jesus would accept me? Yes. What do I need to do? Just believe it and trust in him. Really? Yes. And they will see that you are beautiful because of what you've said. That Your feet are beautiful. Feet are not always the most beautiful part of a body. But the feet of messengers who bring good news are. Because they walk along and they go out of their way to say, my dear friend, Jesus is Lord. Please believe it and share what I have. And friends, that's why we need to tell the gospel. That's why we've listened to it today. We need to tell the good news that Jesus is Lord. There is nothing better in the, in the world than that message. And there's nothing more important than people believe it. The next few weeks, we're going to have a focused time of mission. And so for the next four weekends, Saturday and Sunday, we're going to be having Jesus is fill-in-the-blank talks. I'm going to speak next week. The week after, my friend Ben Farlett is going to be the special guest who's going to come and speak to us on the fact that Jesus is fun. That's an interesting one. And then there'll be a few other Jesus is, and then we'll get to Jesus is on Good Friday, and then a Jesus is on Good Sunday, oh, sorry, Easter Sunday, and that will be our whole season. I'd love it if you could bring along someone to have a listen. In a, in a, we're going to try and make it as simple and as powerful as possible and accessible. Please do that. Please take the opportunity to do this. Because above all, we want the world to know that Jesus is Lord so that they might have what we have. Let me pray. Our great loving Father, we pray that you would give us the courage to call out lies, that you would help us to say the truth in love. For we long for the world to know that Jesus is Lord and to love Jesus as Lord and to follow him willingly and gladly. And we pray that they would believe in the risen Lord, trust in him, repent of their sins, and have that certainty for eternity that is found nowhere else. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.